What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the Final Four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and next up, we have Rutgers. Uh, after uh, several postponements that we really don't know uh, what the status of those games are going to be, the one uh, Illinois, Iowa, um, and Indiana. And Indiana. Um, and yet here we are, Rod, we're still not, uh, kind of out of the woods with COVID here. It looks like Gabe Brown has been, uh, confirmed to have COVID. Um, what, what are you kind of hearing along those lines? Well, it, it looks like Gabe's definitely out. They're saying he'll be back in early February. Um, Dane Fife, by the way, is also going to miss this game. Oh, he's, uh, he's assistant. Yeah. <laughs> the coaching staff, but uh, Gabe is out. It sounds like Maddie Sissoko is going to travel, but they and is eligible to play, but they seem to be suggesting he likely won't. Um, and I think that might have to do with conditioning. I had read, and this is this is something, if accurate. I read an account. I think it was yesterday that you know he was two hundred thirty-five pounds. Um, before he got sick, he got down all the way to like, I want to say 213. Oh my goodness. 22 pounds. Now look, when you're an athlete, you know, that, that stuff can come and go a lot faster than it does with normal people because of the metabolisms involved, et cetera. But it's still pretty shocking. Now, the good news is he's back up to 225. Which again supports what I just said. Mm. If you can have that kind of variance in basically what three weeks, two three weeks, that, <laughs> that says a <laughs> lot, right? That's not a normal person. But regardless, <laughs> he lost a lot of weight, so I suspect this is about conditioning mm-hmm. um, with him. So it sounds like he's not going to play. But you know, this we're recording this on Tuesday. The game is Thursday. We'll see. The the one bit of good news is Josh Langford, who it looked like would probably not be able to play, now they're saying is eligible to play because they're starting the, the clock running on him from when symptoms began as opposed to when he got a positive test, which I think made a difference of about three days. Mm-hmm. So he is going to be eligible to play, and Izzo seems to be talking more optimistically about him than about um, uh, Maddie. So uh, now the question becomes, how much does he play? 
You know, I think it's, it's probably iffy to think that he'll play, um, a lot, but you know, they might be able to get him in for 10 minutes or so, that type of thing. That seems from what I heard is say in the press conference, that seems to be the kind of thing they're talking about, but that could be a big deal because with Gabe Brown out as well. Now Mm. Michigan state is thin on the perimeter. So I suspect what that means is you're going to need, well, one of two things, either you're going to see Iron Man performances from Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry on the wing. Um, you know, and then Hogard maybe will play and, and uh, Lawyer will probably both play a lot as well. Um, or you could see Michigan State maybe trying to work uh, Malik Hall maybe a little more at the wing than we've seen. We've seen next to nothing of that mm-hmm. this year. We, we might have to in this game just to get through it. Um, kind of depend, you know, if you have Josh able to play, it's a different story. Um, because at least you have one wing reserve and then you could, you know, at that point you'd have what five guys to play the three positions. Um, you'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without, with him being iffy, I think it really depends on how much he can actually give them. And that's very much up in the air, but that's the, that's the setup. So, you know, the good news is, um, it sounds like pretty much the entirety. I, it sounded to me like they said all but maybe two or three guys have had COVID now. Oh wow! And I don't know who those people are because they had said a number of guys got it in the summer and the early fall before practice started, and then you've had this latest batch which has hit three scholarship players plus two walk-ons. Um. Stephen Izzo and uh, Davis Smith. So um, there just aren't many guys left. Mm-hmm. I know Malik Hall had it. That was one that was put out there. I have not heard any of the other guys identified if they had it. But it's it. <laughs> if you're looking for any sliver of good news in all of this, what might be there for you is they're pretty much done with mm-hmm. COVID at this point. So there probably won't be another MSU-related pause. They could get hit by other schools pausing, of course, and lose games that way. But I don't think there's going to be one that's going to be a result of something that's happened at Michigan State. Rod, I do worry about the conditioning because I know I had COVID at the beginning of December. um, And Mm -hmm. I'm just now getting to the point where my wind is close to where it used to be before I got COVID. Yeah. And, and even as even last week, just walking the dogs was kind of giving me, you know, like a breathing hard and stuff. And I can't imagine yeah. playing a basketball game. You know, Well, the, the one thing, the one thing I would say in response to that is it's, it's a different scenario when you're younger. It can be a different scenario when you're a trained athlete, you know? Yeah. Um, but, on the other hand, we know that the way that this thing impacts people seems to be um, very individual in nature. You know, that there's not a, a – that might be what's going on with Maddie, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, there? I would suspect that is it. It's something to do with conditioning. They feel like he doesn't quite have his wind back just yet. It's not just about the weight loss. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's a there's a lot of things, and we're going to touch on some of them. You know, there's some basketball related things here, which is this is a team that's going to be going in to play a game with exactly three days of practice under their belt. Yeah. They had a full practice. Now, the good news is, unlike what's going on at Michigan right now, they've been able all along to hold individual workouts. Mm-hmm. So it's not that nobody's been participating in any basketball activities. They just haven't been able to have team practices. Well, they've finally been able to do that this week. So they're going to have a grand total of three practices under their belt. You know, you have to wonder what impact that's going to have on shooting, on ball handling, on attention to detail in terms of defense. That's all apart from what you're talking about, which is just how effective are they at running up and down the court for 40 minutes? Yeah. You know? Um, so there's a lot of unknowns here. And, and at this point, I've seen enough over the last year that I'm prepared to say I will be able to believe anything that happens. I will, I will completely <laughs> understand if Michigan State comes out and has a ragged performance. I will also completely understand if Michigan State comes out and just scorches the nets and beats them by 20. Mm-hmm. Because anything can happen this year. We've seen it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, but, but the, the potential for problems for Michigan State in getting back into this are obvious, you know. And I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, is it such a bad thing that we didn't wind up playing Iowa and Illinois <laughs> in you terms can, of getting you into can the make tournament? That, you can make that argument. You can make the argument that it's better to um, postpone those games given where things were. Um, you know, that it seems like it was a year ago, but that terrible loss to Purdue, um, you know, really, really was kind of a kick in the, you know what? Yeah. And, and uh, granted, they were already, according to the schedule, they had six days off between that game and Iowa. So they had time off to kind of get back on it. But, um, yeah, you can make, you can make that argument. Now, what, what really comes into play is you've also got to consider the possibility. And I'm a believer that they will reschedule these games, but I also can't look at it and say, well, that's a hundred percent. There's possibility they don't play some of these games. That would be to Michigan State's advantage. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think what they're going to do is we're going to see something very unprecedented in February. We're going to see teams maybe playing four times in a week. Wow. You know, it's like every other day. It'll be like the NBA. Mm-hmm. That's That's what I suspect we're going to see. And so at that point, you're adding now another factor into all of this, which is what is the effect of that on teams? Mm-hmm. On playing so many games in a short period of time, uh, you know, with travel on top of that, and, you know, who knows what, it's going to get mighty tough. Um, and, and that will have an impact, as so many other things have already, I think, on results. You know, that that really, to me, you start putting those types of things in there. Now we're getting outside of, well, you know, what we're used to. We're used to looking at this sport in a fairly predictable way. You know, after a season gets underway, you have a little bit of it under your belt. 
you have kind of an understanding as to what's likely to happen. Upsets occur, you know, all that stuff. But you have kind of a basic understanding. Okay, this team is better than that team. And if they play on this court, Team A is likely to win X percentage of the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and feel pretty good in that. You start putting these kind of factors in and you're so, you're so much all over the map that I don't know that you can feel confident in predicting anything. Yeah. You know, which I don't know how that cuts for Michigan State. You could make an argument that at two and four, hey, anything that upsets the apple cart is potentially good, right? I mean, you can. And their depth. Uh, yeah, yeah, and their depth. You're right. Um, you know, the fact that they're going to be largely through COVID now, for better or for worse, um, once they get Gabe back, so we can say in about probably, I don't know, 10 days, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? But, uh, yeah, for for now, I would say if it, if it wouldn't have been for the fact that they couldn't practice uh, together, I would say it was definitely a good thing. Mm-hmm. To take some time off. I saw Joey Hauser uh, quoted today saying he really, you know, he was kind of nicked up. And the first few days off really helped him kind of get back on track physically. But then, of course, it got to a point that it was a negative because he wanted to be out there playing and they're not playing. So the, the, the one good thing is Michigan State should be pretty fresh physically mm-hmm. in that sense. You know, you don't know how they're going to be from a conditioning point of view. I would hope that they were able to keep guys. You know, Izzo's talked it's funny. He, he talked about um, guys making strides over this period. He said Foster Lawyers played very well. Um, Marcus Bingham, he said, has been better. I don't know, you know, they're measuring that via individual workouts, so I don't know how much that really means. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it should be noted for and I'm not trying to minimize that the impact of this is real, but it's not like guys have it's not like everybody's been laid up with an ACL. Yeah, yeah. And nobody could do anything. So you would hope that certain things you would hope that maybe shooting, for example, hasn't changed that much. We'll see. It's mm-hmm. different shooting in a game, obviously, but you can hope. Um other things that are more team related I think there's more reason to worry that they might be out of sorts, mm-hmm. but we'll see. All right. Well, uh, so Rutgers comes into this one, uh, eight and six overall, four and six in the Big Ten. Um, so they're coming off a big win versus Indiana. Uh, but that had ended a five game losing streak, uh, for that yeah. crowd. So they've fallen, uh, on some hard times now, uh, 40th overall in Ken Palm. 55th on offense, 41st on defense, uh, and playing at a 165 tempo. Yeah, they've, look, I think offensively, it's a pretty simple equation. And we talked about it a lot, um, leading into the first game that what was happening, what was really attributable to a lot of Rutgers' massive offensive improvement over previous seasons, including last year, was that they were shooting the ball so much better, especially from deep, Mm -hmm. right? They were, they came into that first game as a team shooting 39% from three. That's a great number. And, and if you remember, um, 
Michigan State did a, again, it seems like a lifetime ago, but Michigan State did a really nice job limiting them from three. Mm-hmm. Well, that started a skid that has really shifted the outlook. Um, I'll just quote some of the numbers. So this is since the first meeting with Michigan State, which is now, I haven't done the math, but it's probably about three weeks ago, Yeah, I would guess. Um, they were 41st in e-field goal percentage before the first game. They're now at number 103. It's a pretty big drop. Yeah. 39% from three heading into that first game. They're now at 35.4, so three and a half percentage drop. That's big. They had been number 67 from two, so inside the arc. They're now number 129. The only thing that's gotten better for them is turnover percentage. They were number 19 in turnover percentage before the first game. They're now number 11. So they're still at least getting scoring attempts. Offensive rebounding, has it was a problem before. It's gotten worse. They're at number 155. To remind people, we told we told you this before the first game, they've never finished lower than 53rd under Peichel before this season. They're now at 155. I think it's safe to say they're going to finish lower than 53rd. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest issue of all is one that was bad then, and somehow it's gotten worse, free throw shooting. They were at 60% as a team going into that game. They're now at 57.9%. That is number 346 in the nation. My goodness. So there are fewer than 20 teams in the country that are worse. Um, 57.9% isn't going to win you a lot of games. And, and what I've noticed in going through the individuals, what's happened is at, at the time of that first game, this was not entirely, but it had a lot. It was very much a function of the guys who were getting free throw attempts. So Miles Johnson really struggles. Okay. They're big man. Mm-hmm. He was shooting a lot of free throws. He's not very good. That was hurting them. Um, when Cliff Omarui was playing, he didn't play against MSU in the first game. He will in this one. Uh, he's bad. So that was happening. Now it's gotten to be a problem beyond the big men. They've got guys who were shooting decently before, um, that are really declining. You know, guys like Ron Harper Jr., um, um, Jacob Young, uh, Geo Baker. These are their big guns, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're all struggling. So free throws are, are a huge problem for this team. And so what you would expect is if it's a tight game, and when we talk about the keys, we'll return to this, but Rutgers has got a problem. Um they're just in, in the Big Ten where so many games are played in a tight window. If you can't shoot free throws decently, you've got a big problem. And that's the thing. They've now got a lineup where they can't just hide one guy because it's all over the lineup. Yeah. You know, they got to play somebody. They got to play five guys. And I don't think they can play legitimately a good free throw shooting lineup in a close game. You know, where a game where they're leading and trying to preserve a lead. I don't think they can do it. So their only hope is that guys start to step up and, and shoot better than they have been. That's tough, given where they're at. So that's something to watch. But but basically, that's that's what we're talking we're talking about. Um, defensively, it hasn't been a good story either. Um, they were number six in the nation last year. They've been really good defensively. Under, um, under Peichel, right? 
that's been a, a staple of Rutgers. And obviously, you're number six in the nation. You're pretty damn good. Um, they are number 41 currently. So that's not terrible, but it's not anywhere near where they've been. Um, their e-field goal percentage against is number 151, so they're just not doing a very good job of stopping people from shooting successfully. Part of that is they've had they've had trouble fouling people. Um, part of it is that they're only number 140 nationally against two-point shots after being number 13 a year ago. That's surprising. But again, some of these things, as we talked about before the first game, some of these things I think are a function in part of lineup adjustments. Peichel's always been a guy who played a lot of size, and this year he's not. Mm-hmm. He's he's gone with a small ball lineup for the most part. Um, so that's impacted. It's impacted the rebounding. I think it's impacted the two point defense. But boy, I don't think he would have expected it would impact them this much. Yeah. You know, and and now as we're going to get into the discussion, um, he has um, been shaking up the starting lineup and the minutes which is what you would expect for from a team on a five-game losing skid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, we expect uh, Geo Baker to start. 6'4", senior, averaging 9.6 points a game, 38 from the floor, 29 from three, 63 from the line. Uh, just about three assists per game. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the big thing with him, and this has been the problem his whole career. He's a guy who, when you watch him, just the way he moves athletically, his handle, all those things, you think, well, that's a good player. And I think that's fooled a lot of people. Just to reiterate, we talked about this before the first game. He was the guy who was getting a lot of preseason love. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand it. Not that I think he's worthless, but he just he's never been an efficient player offensively and that's been borne out again this season you know 20 uh 29 from three only 63 percent at the line and and frankly now his two-point percentage is sub 40 those are not great numbers and but i think it a lot of it goes back to his three-point shot if if you can't shoot the three more consistently than that you're gonna have a hard time being a consistently efficient impactful player and that's been the story Having said that, he played very well against Indiana. Mm-hmm. So he's coming in off a good game. But um, And, of course, he missed time earlier this season with injury. When At the point that MSU played him, he had just gotten back into the starting lineup. Um, yeah. So he's obviously had more time now to settle in. He's played uh, four games since then. And he only um, took seven shots in the MSU game for five points. Yeah, and that's the one thing I think that I know we talked about in the first game before the first game is that what he seemed to be doing was blending in better. You know, bef- previously he's been kind of a ball dominant guy, a lot of usage, you know, trying to do things. And this year he was maybe taking a little bit of a backseat to guys who were playing more efficiently. But the problem is now you've got guys who had been playing well, who aren't anymore. And so they probably do need somebody to step forward, and it might have to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Paul McKay, 6'6", sophomore guard, uh, who's moved back into the starting uh, lineup lately, 6.3 points a game, four rebounds, 46 from the floor, 39 from 367 from the line, uh, with a little bit better than three assists per game. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about him, and he didn't do much in that MSU game, the first one. But 
as we discussed before that game, he's not a huge counting stats guy, but every time I watch them, I think that guy is very, is very, very important to Rutgers thing holding together mm-hmm. because He's the closest thing to a natural playmaker that they have. I think, you know, guys like Jacob Young, Geo Baker can ring up assists, but they don't see the floor the way this guy does. I don't think they're um, as uh, poised in decision-making as he is. I just, I like him. He and, and his shooting has improved. You know, he's one of the few guys during this bad run who didn't go into a huge slump. His numbers are pretty similar to what they were before the first MSU game. Um, but he's in the starting lineup because, uh, Jacob Young had just been doing a nosedive. Mm. And as an indication of what's happened here in that Indiana game, Jacob Young played 22 minutes. Mulcahy played 36. Wow. So, yeah, they, and, and they won that game. So I suspect Pico is going to look for heavy minutes for Mulcahy again. Uh, and then Caleb McConnell, 6'6", junior, 5.2 points a game, 2.8 rebounds, 29 from the floor, 39 from 380 from the line. Yeah, um, he was just coming back the first MSU game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I believe that was only his second game back um, at that time. He started against Indiana as well, and it's because Montez Mathis, who at the time MSU played them the first go-around, was having an outstanding season. Well, that he's fallen off a cliff so badly that he played a grand total of three minutes against IU. Um, he was a, he is still their second leading scorer. I'm sorry, he might be third now. Yeah, he's third. My bad. He was at 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 the time that MSU played the first go around. I think he was their second leading scorer. Um, we'll return to him in a minute. But uh, with McConnell, you know, he's a guy that uh, the, the stats aren't spectacular. You know, the weird, weirdest thing there is he's 29% overall, but 39% from three. Figure that one out. That's a that's a that's an extreme Travis Trice number. <laughs> if you remember, there were a couple of years in there where Travis shot better from three than he did overall because he used to get his shot blocked at the rim a lot. Mm. Um, th- this is even more extreme. But McConnell's a guy in previous seasons that played a lot, and he started occasionally. And His his production isn't overwhelming, but Pico likes him. And I, I got the sense in doing some reading that part of the decision to play Mulcahy and McConnell as starters was actually, despite the fact that Rutgers has taken such a big dive offensively recently, it was predicated on defense. That Pico thought these guys would give him a better defensive effort and that that in turn would spark better offense. Well, at least for one game, it played out that way. His Rutgers scored 74 against IU. That's the first time they broke 70 in that, since that losing streak began. Mm-hmm. So it did seem to work. Uh, at least for one game. But McConnell, I expect to play a lot. Uh, and then Ron Harper Jr., 6'5", Jr., uh, who was just on an unbelievable tear coming into MSU the first time, uh, is now down to 18.3 points a game, um, which is a four-point-per-game drop. Um, yeah. But still 48 from the floor, 40 from three, and 64 from the line, and getting six-and-a-half boards. Yeah, you know, Obviously, he's still having a really nice season. But 
as is the case of many of his teammates. As his shooting has slipped precipitously, so too has his overall success. And that's clearly what we're seeing. I mean, for in the space of five games to see your scoring average, counting the MSU game, to see your scoring average drop four points per, that's that's substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just struggled. Now, he played very well against Indiana as well. He and Baker were keys to that win. So if you're on the Rutgers end of things, your position's probably going to be, okay, Ron bounced back. He's just got to keep it up. And he's fully capable of doing that. Ron Harper Jr., as we said before the first game, is a potential matchup nightmare. You know, Michigan State, the first game, I thought, did a really, really nice job. Um, Malik Hall saw a lot of him. Uh, Thomas Kithier saw some of him. And they, they really did a nice job in containing him. They got to do that again. Um, even with the three point shooting, you know, I mean, he's at 40% now, which is still good. He was knocking on the door at 50% before the MSU game. So he's obviously struggling from deep. If he's not hitting the three well, he's not easy to deal with. He's easier mm-hmm. to deal with. And the free throw shooting, 64%, that's a problem. Because Ron Harper Jr. is an active player. He's a guy that when he's got it going, he's going to draw fouls. He's going to get to the line. And 64% is just not good enough. Mm. So still their best player, still a guy who I think has a chance to be an all-Big Ten player. But there's been a decline of late. There's no doubt about that. Uh, And then Miles Johnson, 6'11", 270, Jr. Uh, 8.1 points a game, 8.6 rebounds. Uh, which is pretty much the same as it was coming into the first one. Um, 63% from the floor, 38% from the line. Yeah, and just a touch better than two blocks per game. If you remember that first game, he just didn't do a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought Michigan State really worked hard to um, to deny him, um, and they they kind of kept him under control. It's unlikely. I, I just think Rutgers is not oriented to really go to him with frequency in the post. So even though he physically will have some advantages in this game for sure, I don't know that I'd expect him to, you know, do a Trevion Williams, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see that as likely. But could he have like a 15-point night? Sure. MSU's got to work to to deny that. Again, the big problem here with and I like him. I think he's I think he's a good solid overall player. As a big man, he gives them a legit presence and a weapon to throw, you know, at guys like Garza or Coburn that are, you know, the really huge guys physically in the conference. He's another huge guy, so it's nice to have him from that perspective. But um 38% at the line, man. That's <laughs> He was better before the first, because he's gotten worse. That's the one thing that's gotten worse for him since the first MSU game. And you wouldn't think it was possible mm. to get worse than the high 40s, but it is. And he's showing you how. Um, you know, that's a problem. I mean, in it, if it's if it's a late game, let, let's bring back that awful memory of that Purdue game for a second. In a tight late game situation, you know, where Purdue really relied on Edie, to kind of knock that missed free throw, keep it alive. Yeah. Purdue could retain possession. That's why you want guys with that kind of size, right? Or at the other end, if, 
Michigan State shooting free throws and you want somebody who's a defensive rebounder to kind of, you know, keep them off a missed free throw and off the glass and secure a rebound, you want your big man to be able to do that, right? Purdue could do that with their big man, with Edie. Um, Rutgers can't do that with Miles Johnson. It's too risky. So that creates some problems for them in certain situations. And then, so coming off the bench, Jacob Young, who put up a ton of shots against MSU last time, 5 for 17 from 2, 0 for 1 from yeah. 3. Uh, but 6-2 senior, um, they got him now kind of coming off the bench the last two games, played 22 minutes against uh, IU um, versus, you'd mentioned McKay's 36. Um but he's averaging 14.6 points a game, 48 from the floor, 36 from three, and 72 from the line. Yeah, and, and those numbers still look okay, but you got to remember they were a lot better three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So his three-point shooting has just fallen off a cliff. Um, something else that's happened, at that time, he was leading the team with around five assists per game and was doing a decent job of holding the turnovers down. Now... His assists are a bit over four per game, but he's also committing almost three turnovers mm-hmm. per contest. So his efficiency as a floor leader has gone by the boards. And this is a team who doesn't turn the ball over. So he's really it. He's the problem. Yeah. Um, I think those things are why he's losing minutes to Mulcahy. Um, he's a defensive disruptor for them. He averages two steals a game, though that's down. It was at two and a half a game before the first MSU contest. So everything's been in reverse for Jacob Young. Um, and I think, you know, when you have a guy like him who the year before, you know, Jacob Young was primarily an energy guy. He was not an efficient player, but he was a guy who made things happen, flying all over the court, very athletic, very quick. Um, and they lived with it. Then this year, he had turned into a much, much more efficient player. And so sometimes that improvement is real. Mm -hmm. A guy's just figured some things out. Sometimes it's that he was on a hot streak and there's a reversion to the mean coming. And it looks to me like that's what's happening with a few of these guys. And Jacob Young would be exhibit A of that. He's still going to play a lot, but uh, I don't know that I expect to see him getting the opportunity to put up 17 shots in this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then Montez Mathis, uh, 6'5", junior, 11.3 points a game, 42, 38, and 49 from the line. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy in a major slump. He was averaging um, 15 points a game before the first contest. So he, like Harper, has lost four points a night over the last three weeks. All his shooting numbers are declining. Again, like with Jacob Young, they still look pretty decent other than the free throw shooting. Free throw shooting's horrendous. 49% for a wing, you just can't have that. Um, but I think the more interesting thing is he got—he not only got moved out of the starting lineup against Indiana, he only played three minutes wow. in that game. That's dramatic. And so that, if, if I can, you know, all the stuff I read suggests to me that it wasn't just the shooting, it's that Steve Peichel was not happy with his defensive effort, or rather he was happier with the effort from other guys, and that that's why... He made that move. So I don't know how much we're going to see Montez Mathis. I, from a Michigan State perspective, um, he's a guy who, despite the slump, 
certainly has the talent and the experience to suggest that he could have a big night, potentially, any night. And so if you're not playing him in favor of Caleb McConnell, I probably would take that on balance as an MSU fan. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd take that switch. Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know if the Indiana game was a one-time deal to send a message or if it reflects a new reality. We'll see. Uh, and then Cliff Omarui, 6'10 freshman, um, who's back from injury. He came back for the uh, Wisconsin game. So he's been back three games now. Um, and not a ton of production. You got 15 minutes, 17 minutes, and then 12 minutes against Indiana. Um, right. What are you looking looking at? Uh, what are you expecting from him? Well, he's a you know physically he's an impressive kid. You can see why he was ranked highly. He was a the biggest recruit of Peichel's tenure by far. I mean, this is a guy who high you know serious programs wanted, mm-hmm. and Rutgers kept him home. Uh, and he was starting early in the year. He was starting in place of Miles Johnson, and I. I didn't quite understand it at the time, other than maybe for political and recruiting reasons, because to me, every time I watch him, whatever his flaws are, Miles Johnson looked like the more productive player at this stage. And they're not interested in playing them together, mm. which is what I thought they might do in the preseason. But that has not happened. Um, I think now they've settled into what the rotation should be at this point, where Omaru, you mentioned the minutes, mid to high teens. That's what you should be looking for. I, he's, you can see the reasons why he was so highly regarded, but you know, look, this is the truth with any big man. You see it at Michigan State this year with Matty Sissoko. You can see why people liked him, right? Every mm-hmm. time he plays, you watch him block a shot, you watch him grab a rebound, you watch him dunk, you watch him run the floor, you look at his body. Most of these things apply to Cliff Omarui as well, but as with Matty, it's not all polished yet. So there's still a lot of raw talent to be honed, let's say. Um, he's averaging five points and 5.1 rebounds a game, uh, 64% from the floor, so he knows what a good shot is, uh, but only 45% at the line, so he's almost as bad as Johnson. Mm-hmm. And again, that creates a problem because it means that in a tight game, Rutgers probably has to have one of those guys. I didn't go through and list. They do have a few young guys who are all in the 6'8", 6'10", range. Theoretically, they could put in there, but these guys haven't been playing much lately, and they're all very young. So I don't think we're likely to see them be the answer. In a tight game, you know, I I, I think it's hard to go with an all what would be an all-guard lineup. You know, theoretically, they could. They could put, you know, Montez Mathis at the four and play Ron Harper at the five. They could do that. But that's really tough <laughs> to try to close games out that way. The problem is, if you got to play one of Johnson or Omarui, well, they're both sub 50% free throw shooters. Mm. So it's a big, it's a big conundrum for, for Peichel. Um, but yeah, I think these are the eight guys. It, it looks to me like, the other thing that's happened, as I mentioned or alluded to a second ago, is that Peichel has kind of shrunk the playing group. And, and these are his primary eight guys anyway. I mean, this is who he wants to go with. So if anybody else does play, it's likely going to be spot minutes at best. Um, all right. So as far as the keys, 
Uh, number one is probably going to be on everyone's mind, the layoff. So they haven't, MSU hasn't played a game in 20 days uh, when this one tips off. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as we just went through, we know Gabe's not going to play. It seems like Maddie Sissoko won't play. Looks like everybody else will. So that means, it, assuming that Josh does, which seems to be the case now. So that means you've got 10 scholarship players. Well, normally that would be okay, but it's where, as we mentioned, it's what positions those 10 play. Losing um, one wing in Brown is bad. If Langford can't play for some reason or can only play a few minutes because of conditioning, there's a problem because that means that you're, you're probably going to have to play Rocket and Aaron Henry each, you know, ideally 35 minutes. And, you know, let's, let's be honest. Those are guys that, you know, foul trouble is not unknown to them. <laughs> so what do you do? It, it, to me, it means Josh being able to play at least, you know, 10 minutes, something like that is really critical in this game. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing, which we mentioned, they've only had three full days of practice. So what does that mean for how sharp of a game they play? They were very sharp in that first game against Rutgers. That was, that was the best game Michigan State's played this year, in my opinion. Better than Duke, was better than Notre Dame. They were good offensively. They were really good defensively, and they were good on the glass. Um, can they have anything close to that level of sharpness this time around? Uh, that's wow, you know. But but again, as I mentioned, this year being what it is, um, who knows? You you can't rule out that for especially if you're talking about a one game situation that somehow Michigan State just plays you know, it's just incredibly good for 40 minutes. It can happen. Strange things have happened all year long. And and I think that we can't rule that out, but I would also say that um, it's uh, more probable that we see some rough spots. I would say particularly um, ball handling. Mm. And, and maybe you can add to that um, defensive sharpness. I saw Izzo quoted Jay Wright because uh, he, he had talked to him because uh, Villanova had just come off um, a big layoff. And Jay Wright said that the shooting was great, but that um, the one thing they really struggled with was defensive accountability. Mm. So, and that makes sense to me intuitively yeah. that that would perhaps be an issue. Uh, so then the second key boards, uh, Michigan State did a quite a, a good number on them last time. 37 defensive rebounds compared to 16 for them. And, and MSU had a 33% offensive rebounding rate. Yeah, um, yeah it was a really great effort. Um, and and look, this is not a typical Steve Peichel team. We've talk, we talked about that a lot before the first game. We mentioned it in this one. Their rebounding has gotten worse, actually, since the first game statistically. So it's not that kind of team. Mm-hmm. That means you should have opportunities if you're Michigan State. And look, at least in terms of sharpness, there's no good reason why Michigan State shouldn't be able to rebound well in this game because that's in significant part an effort and energy 
area, you know. Um, but Izzo mentioned, he said, you know, that was the other thing Jay Wright told him is he didn't think Villanova rebounded very well because they had been missing that constant, you know, everyday physical play against each other in practice. So does that impact Michigan State in this one? I don't know. I, I do know this. It would certainly help the cause if Michigan State's getting second chances because you're on the road, and we know road isn't what it normally is, but it's still an unfamiliar gym. Um, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're not sharp from a team perspective. So although I think it's possible they shoot well, I don't think you can count on it by any means. And this Michigan State team, under the best of circumstances, hasn't been what you'd call an entirely trustworthy group shooting-wise, right? Mm, yeah. Um, it's kind of game to game. So I, I think getting second chances would be a big deal. And in theory, at least, they should be available. Uh, and then turnovers. Uh, this was the one spot in that last Rutgers game that, that wasn't really too good. 18 turnovers for Michigan State against Rutgers yeah. the first time around. Yeah. And, and as we said, Rutgers has done a really good job at valuing the ball this year. Michigan State's been, by and large, okay by MSU standards. They've been decent. But there's a gap, statistically, between these two teams, for sure. Uh, I, I don't think Michigan State can afford for it to be a huge gap. If it's a you know four-turnover edge, something like that, okay, you can probably live with that. If it's like 18 to 8, mm. something like that, you could have trouble. Uh, and then threes. Um, yeah, uh, both ways, right? Um, with MSU, again, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, you know, if they were to be down both both Gabe and Josh, that's taking two pretty good shooters away. So that's not good. Again, I'm hoping Josh does actually play. Um, but you just don't know what you're going to get with MSU. You can hope that shooting is the one thing above all else they should have been able to keep sharp during individual workouts. And that's the, that's the thing. It, it's not like this is injury related, you know? Yeah. Because these guys have been able to get in the gym and get shots up. So you would think at least theoretically the shooting eye should not have changed very much. Um, but we have to see it. On the other side, Rutgers was, it was a big part of their success early this year it's been a big part of their struggles lately msu did a very good job of limiting attempts and limiting makes in the first go around they've got to do that again mm-hmm. i think it'd be very tough to win if rutgers has a really good day from three uh, and then free throws yeah it's the big equalizer in this because if msu is able to stay close i mean look we Trevion Williams showed that even a bad free throw shooter can have a day, right? <laughs> but um, but I'll still play the odds on that. This is a team-wide issue. This isn't like with Purdue, basically one guy. Um, this is everybody. When you got guys like Harper and Mathis, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the high 40s, that's a problem. They just don't have, you know – they just don't have reliable free throw shooters. They don't have anybody really that you'd say, oh, that guy's a really, really good free throw shooter who mm-hmm. plays kind of minutes, you know. Um, so that's a problem for them. And if it's a tight game, 
or if it's a game where Michigan State is scrambling to try and close the gap late, Rutgers gives you, at least in theory, they give you opportunities because they're probably going to struggle to convert free throws. Mm. Meanwhile, MSU, on the season at least, has been pretty good. Yeah, it looks like 76%, I think I saw. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, they've they've been largely in the you know, mid seventies range pretty much the whole year. And, and there just aren't, you know, when you think about it among guys that play significant minutes, who's a guy you don't have decent faith in as a free throw shooter. You know, they're mostly pretty good. Um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, maybe Malik and Hogard have been a little inconsistent, but not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody else, you know, pretty reliable. All right. Well, um, it seems like Rutgers maybe has lost their identity a little bit at this point in the season here. I think that's a good point. Uh, it's almost <laughs> and I bet like, Steve Peichel agrees with you. It's like they were hoping for them to sort of carry this identity over and while their offense evolved. And right. And <laughs> they – Yes. And I, and you know what? You've, you've hit a really good point. I, I would guess I haven't seen an inter, again, I did notice that the word was the reason for the lineup changes was at least the one that was discussed was primarily on the defensive end that they thought that's what needed to change, not just to improve them defensively, but also in turn to get their offense going. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things can be interrelated. I don't think that's a crazy thought at all. Um, but, uh, I do think you're on to something because what Rutgers had through the last several years and even especially last year when they were really successful is an identity. And it was the same identity the entire time Pykel's built. They're going to physically pound the hell out of you. Every game you play them is going to be a meat grinder, right? Mm. They're going to defend at a high level. They're going to rebound at a high level. They're not going to be pretty offensively, but you're going to have to work to get a win against them. And I think there could be something. I don't, you know, obviously neither one of us follows Rutgers daily. Mm-hmm. But you do have to wonder, did that team get seduced by their early offensive success and started to believe that that was now the way they would win games. Mm. Because, for you know, and we've spent a lot of time here talking about this drop being attributable to their offense not succeeding, right? Yeah. And relative to how they were functioning in the early part of the year, it's true. You know, you've got guys dropping like a rock in terms of shooting percentage, scoring average, all those things. But there's an argument that the defense – if it was anywhere close to their usual levels under Peichel, it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know? Because let, let's be honest, offensively right now, they're still sitting much better than they were last year. And, you know, a team that was going to make the NCAA tournament. So even with this bad period they've gone through, they're still sitting in a better spot offensively than they were last year. So where's the difference? Well, the difference is they're not guarding anybody the way they were. Mm-hmm. They're not rebounding. 
And that had been, you used the word, and it's a good one, that had been the identity of the entire program. And it was, we've talked about it many times. I think it was a smart way and maybe the only way to build that program. But now, Pykel, you know, it's the old line, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Well, he's he's got guys now who have more offensive ability than his teams did three years ago. Mm. You know, he's added better talent and some guys like Harper and even with his latest slump, Mathis, et cetera, have improved as they've matured. So they're much better players than they were as freshmen. You know, so he's got more of that talent there. But the key, the successful programs, you know, you look at the way Tom Izzo built Michigan State, his offensive firepower increased over time. You go back and look at that first Big Ten championship team he had, not a pretty team offensively, Mm. you know, really struggled. If you go back and look at the numbers, you'd probably be very surprised. I mean that for all listeners as to how that 97-98 Michigan State team fared offensively. But they won because it was good enough given the level of defense and the rebounding that they had. And those were program staples that never really changed. Even in the occasional year where those areas were bad, Izzo bitched about it constantly. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but the point is, he was able to keep those as program staples even when the talent level improved, the offensive skill improved, etc. And it's never gone away. I think Steve Peichel will get it back on track. The question is whether he does it this year or not. Because it's a tough year to really course correct as we've talked about. Um, But, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a really good reason to question whether this team has kind of lost its way a little bit. You know, they were so much better offensively early on, and it's easy to get sucked into that. And and then you look up, and suddenly the shots aren't falling, and you don't defend the way you used to. That's a good recipe for a five-game losing streak. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this one tips off Thursday at 7. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.